Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, well, I want to welcome you back to week two of this new series we started last Sunday called Backstage. And if you missed the first week's message, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, basically, I'll, I'll kind of restate the, the metaphor of this series backstage, okay? Here's kind of the big idea and see if this makes sense to you. The big idea is this, that essentially our lives are made up of two parts. We have a, a public life, which I'm kind of calling our front stage, right? This is the part of our life that people see. This is what's out in the spotlight. It's the stuff that gets applauded. It's often where we put so much of our focus and attention because it's what gets seen. But there's another part of our life. It's a private life. It's our true soul. I'm calling it our backstage. And like any backstage, usually what goes on back in the backstage, things are often a little darker back here. Things are often a little more messy, and we hide things that you all can't see, but I can see it back here. There's some messiness going on. And the truth is, I just want to make this statement, that these two parts of our lives are so connected. And if all we do is focus on the front stage to the neglect of the backstage, it's possible for a season to, to kind of keep it all together here. But if we are not having a healthy soul, if the true us in our walk with Jesus Christ is not healthy, it's only a matter of time before what we've built on the front stage, that facade comes crashing down. And we're so dysfunctional and so unhealthy when all we focus on is the front stage. So in this series, we're kind of inviting people into the backstage and saying, let's talk about some issues that are back here that not everybody else sees. Last Sunday, just by way of review, we talked about this, identity, this, this topic of our identity. Like, where do we get our sense of worth and value? And we looked at some false identities on the front stage where sometimes we take on the identity of being a performer. That it's just all about how hard I work and what I achieve and the goals I set because this is where my value comes from. It's what I do. And we also talked about the false identity of the possessor that says my identity, my value comes from what I have and I project to the world all the stuff and wealth that I have, right? And then we also talked about the identity of the pretender that, that basically says my value and my sense of worth comes from what other people think of me. So it doesn't matter if it's not really healthy as long as I make it look healthy and other people like me and other people think everything's good in my life. That's all that matters. But, but remember, we said that's not what our identity is. That's not who we really are. We are, in our true sense, as, as Christ followers, we are precious children of the living God. Not because of what we've done or what we have or what others think of us, but simply as his precious sons and daughters. And we talked about this so important topic of what do we get our identity from. Today, I want to talk about another backstage issue, and it's the subject of isolation. And, and see if you agree with me. I think this is kind of common sense, but let me just state the obvious and see if we all agree on this. Way more people have access to our front stage than our backstage. Is that true? Yes. We don't even get to choose who all has access to our front stage, right? Like everybody gets access to the front stage on some level or another, but not nearly as many people get the backstage pass to come into this part of our life. True? 
And, and I, let me just validate that. That's actually healthy, right? Like you all can't fit back here. And it's, you all don't belong back here, right? Um, but, but the truth is this. Um, many people don't have anybody in their backstage. See, and by the way, and for those of you that think we should all be inclusive and everybody that gets my front stage should also have my backstage, Jesus didn't live that way. You can study the life of Jesus. He ministered to the multitudes and the masses of people, but then he had this little group of 12 friends that he spent the majority of his time with. And even inside that group of 12, there was an, another little inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus modeled, I think it's healthy when we understand our circles of friendships and we're intentional. You don't necessarily have to tell everybody where they fit. Like, oh, you're just a front stage relationship. Uh, but there are some people who need to know they actually have a behind-the-stage pass to come into this part of your life and have conversation with you about what's happening back here. And what I want to talk about today is the fact that many people, I would contend many Christians, don't have very many backstage relationships in their life. I believe a lot of us are going through life in isolation, alone, dealing with loneliness, and, and, and we're going to find out today that that's not healthy, and it's not a good thing. And it's crazy, too, because never before in human history have we been such a connected people, right? Because of technology and social media. Like, it's possible for people to literally have on Facebook hundreds, if not thousands, of friends. And yet, of those hundreds or thousands of friends, almost none of those people have this level of access to your life. They just see the funny cat videos you share and your political ranting and raving. That's all they see. They don't get to come back here, but they're your friend. What I want to do in our time together today, if you've got your handouts, I'm going to make eight observations from God's word about the subject of isolation. And um, we're going to see what, what God has to say about this subject in our life. So here's what I'm going to do is share a, a verse and then we'll kind of draw some of the observations from it. I want to start in the second book of, or the first book of the Bible, second chapter, Genesis chapter 2. So here's the context. God has just created the universe. He's created everything in it. He's created man. And he said, up to this point, everything is good in his creation that he's made. And God is getting ready to declare something not good for the first time in his created universe. And in Genesis 2.18, the word of God says this, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what, church? Alone. That's not good. And, and now we know the context is usually uh, brought out that this is Adam and Eve, right? This is God looking at the first created human being. And he says, this guy's different from all the other animals I've created. They all have relationship, if you can have relationships, right? They all have a partner. They all have a mate. Adam is alone. And God says, this isn't good. We've got to fix this aloneness. And so... This is more than just marriage. This is not, we know from other parts of the Bible that it's possible to be single and not be alone, right? This isn't a mandate for every human being to be married. This is God looking at the human condition going, not good to walk through life alone. So here's the first observation if you want to write this down. God does not want us to live in isolation and loneliness, it's not his will for my life. It's not his will for your life to go through life and have nobody in your backstage. I'm calling today's message, by the way, the seclusion delusion. 
this idea, this delusional idea, it's a lie that we believe that says, I don't need anybody back there. I don't want anybody back here. This is my space, and I don't tell anybody what's really happening back here. If this is where you're living and you have no friends, no community that has access to this part of your life, it is the seclusion delusion, and God says it's not his will for you to live in that condition any longer. It's not good for man to be alone. Let's go to another classic passage that deals with this idea of we're better together than alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But look at God's word says. It says, pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. If God's word says, if you're living alone in your backstage and there's no one that has this level of access to your life, you are to be pitied. You, you're not a self-made man or woman and strong and independent. You are in a pitiful situation. Pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then here's this classic statement from the Word of God. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And, and a lot of commentators say this carries the idea that this is two human relationships with the, with the cord of the Holy Spirit wrapped inside of that, a, a triune relationship. You think about that, where, where the bond that holds our relationship together is not just you and me, it's Jesus Christ. Think about the implications that has on your marriage or on this level of friendship where I've got friends in my life that our real bond is not just the, that we share the same interests or hobbies, but our real bond is that we share a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we have that cord of three strands, it's not quickly broken. Here's some observations from that passage. Number two, if you want to write this down, we accomplish more together than alone. We get more done when we do it together than when we try and do it all by ourselves. Number three, if you want to write this down, we can encourage one another and pick each other up when we fall, not if we fall. Church, you're going to fall. I'm going to fall. And when I fall, I need some people in my life that can pick me up and dust me off and say, we got you. Yep, you tripped. Yes, you made some mistakes, but we're going to encourage you. Pity the person who falls and does not have relationships around them to see that they fell and pick them back up and encourage them. Number four, we are stronger together than when we are alone. There's strength that I get by having people in this part of my life. I'm stronger because of the relationships that are back here than if I kicked all these people out and I'm alone back here. And I believe we've got a lot of Christians going through life in weakness because they don't have backstage relationships. They're in isolation, and it's not healthy. Here's another scripture, and we'll take an observation from it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Have you ever heard that? Like the old King James talks about there is safety in a multitude of counselors. So here's the observation. We are safer when we have others speaking into our lives. Let me just talk about that word counselor for a minute because I, I had this thought this morning as I was kind of praying through my message and I really believe this is from the Holy Spirit because this was not, I did not come up with this on my own. The, so what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about counselors? Like what, what's the, 
What's the qualifications to be a counselor in that definition or in that light of being a biblical counselor? I think it needs to be someone who has the right posture before the Lord and the right proximity to us. Those two words just popped into my head, and I was like, Lord, that's good. The right posture before the Lord and the right proximity to us. Let me explain that. For someone to to qualify in your life as a counselor, when the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors, it means there are people that have the right posture before the Lord. These are godly men and women who know and love and follow Jesus, and they're surrendered to him in their life. And then they have the right proximity to you. They're, They're close enough to you to speak into your life. They're close enough to look at your backstage and go, dude, have you seen this? Like, this is kind of messy. We should probably clean this up together. You should probably get this little thing in order over here in your backstage. So here's what I'm not saying, Christian. We need to be very careful about who we take counsel from. Your drinking buddies on Friday night sitting on the bar stool next to you are probably not the right source of godly counsel. Amen? Don't take counsel from your drunk friends that are like, you deserve to be happy, man. Like, just leave her. You deserve so much better than her. Not godly counsel. They might have proximity to you, but they are not in the right posture before the Lord. Amen? Godly counselors, men and women who love the Lord and love you and have enough proximity close enough to your life to go, hey, can I I say something about that? By the way, people that haven't even had to ask permission to be back here, why? Because you've invited them in. You've you've invited them to come into your life. Let, Let me ask this question. Why does John need people back here in my life? I'll tell you why. It's because I have blind spots. It's very easy for me to think I'm doing great. And then to have some friends step back here and look around and go, Whoa, uh, you're not doing as great as you think you are. You've got some blind spots in your life, John. Here's another reason why I need some godly people speaking into my life. I'm just going to make a confession. You can judge all you want, but this is true of you as well. When I'm just by myself in my backstage here, I'm kind of self-serving. I think of myself first and foremost and often. And the only times I actually get it right and put others first and serve other people, usually that's because of a supernatural work of God in my life where that's him working through me. Because if it's just me doing my thing, I would just like to take care of myself. And I need people in my life to kind of hold that up from time to time and say, hey, John, it's not all about you. I'll tell you another reason why I need some people in my backstage, and you do too, is because my heart cannot always be trusted. Did you know that? And neither can yours. And I see it all the time where people are like, just follow your heart, just follow your heart. No, don't just follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Because look at what God's word says about my heart and your heart. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is, what's the word, church? deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it this is a description of the depravity of man you you want to write that down beside this verse this is what it means to be deprived depraved depraved that's the word i'm looking for the depravity of man outside of christ my heart is not good outside of christ i am a sinful selfish human being The only thing good that comes out of my heart is what Jesus has done in and through my life. But so if I lean into my own heart to to the exclusion of godly counsel, my heart can lead me into some really bad places, and and yours can too. 
And that's why we need some people in our backstage who will tell us the truth when we want to hear it and when we don't want to hear it. Here's another verse I want to share under the same heading about being safer when we've got counselors around us. Proverbs 15.31 says, look at this, we need to dissect this verse. It says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Let's just chunk this verse up for a minute. Whoever heeds. What does that mean? That's kind of a biblical, old-fashioned word of saying whoever submits to, whoever accepts, whoever receives. What do they receive? Look at this, life-giving correction. Did your parents, when you were getting disciplined as a kid, ever tell you this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? You're like, I beg to differ, right? But it kind of, there's some truth to that, right? Like this correction they're giving to your little sinful heart. That correction is life-giving if you receive it. If you get all stiff-necked and rebellious, right, it's the, the life-giving correction is not taking root. But if you have the humility to receive and accept the correction that someone speaks into your life, this word says that you will be at home among the wise. You'll be a person of wisdom. I'll tell you, in my backstage moments when I'm left to my own default settings and one of my nosy friends wants to get into my business and confront me and rebuke me, my default setting is to get defensive. Oh, oh yeah? Well, let's talk about your life. Right? But, but in the moments of humility and wisdom where I receive what they're saying, go, man, that's hard to hear. But okay, you're right. I, I accept what you're saying. I've got some things I need to work on in my life. I need God to change my heart. That's wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from. So here's a question I want to ask the Christians in the house today is this. Who in your life has the right to rebuke you? Who have you given the fancy backstage pass that they can wear around their neck and, and just with confidence step into your life and go, hey, can we talk? I'm, this isn't about everybody out there that's watching. This is about you and me when the spotlights are off and this is just us back here. Who in your life has been given permission by you to rebuke you and to speak truth into your life even when you don't want to hear it okay so one more major observation i want to share and there's a ton of scripture that i could use to back this up we're not going to look at all of it but i've put some of it on your handouts you can go look it up in your own time but here's the thing it's possible someone's sitting here right now going john i wish i had some people in my life that could be this level of friends and backstage pass. I wish I had that, but I don't. Here's some really good news for you. Number six, if you want to write this down, I believe that the church is God's solution to the problem of isolation. Here's good news. If you, are, if you feel like you're living alone and in isolation, God has put a mechanism in place by which those needs can be met, and I believe that's through his church. But I'm going to tell you right now, I believe the average American Christian does not view the church the way God views his church. And I think I put this on your handouts. If I didn't, then write these descriptive terms down. But I think I put it on your notes already. When we study the New Testament, there's different descriptions that the Bible uses when it's talking about the church. One of those descriptive terms is this, that the church is a family. Is that on your notes? Okay, good. So the church is a family. And sometimes a dysfunctional one, but a family nonetheless where there needs to be unity in God's house because we are a family of believers. The, the church is a, a, another thing. It's a fellowship. 
The church is a fellowship. That's a Bible word. We don't run around in our culture today talking about, all right, we had great fellowship at Buffalo Wild Wings uh, the other night with us guys watching the game and having fellowship. Like, nobody knows what that means, but a fellowship is, is a descriptive term the Bible uses about the church. I would contend that, that the word fellowship is a noun and a verb. It's something we are and it's something we do. It's something we're a part of. We belong to the fellowship, this unity of believers. And it's something that we do. We engage in fellowship with one another. There's like this close relational commitment to one another. It's a fellowship. Another description of the church is that we are a body. The church is a body that I'm just one part of a much larger body made up of many different parts. And think about the implication of that for just a moment. If that's true, if the church really is a body, then here's an implication. You need the church, and the church needs you. Because when you cut yourself off from the the local church, you are missing the rest of the body. You, You are not the complete package. I don't care what your mom told you. You don't have all the gifts. You are just one part, and you're missing out on the gifts that the rest of the body has to offer. And guess what? The rest of the body's missing out on your gifts when you disconnect and isolate yourself from the church. Here's another description that the New Testament speaks of the church. It calls the church a flock. I don't really like the implications of that because then that implies I'm a sheep. And I've never wanted to be a sheep ever in my life. A German shepherd, yes. A lion, sure. A sheep, no. I've never been like, man, I want to be a sheep someday. But the Bible compares the church to a flock. Think about the implications of that for a moment. A flock is led by who? A shepherd. What is one of the titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the good shepherd. And the church is led by under shepherds spiritual leadership with spiritual authority and you don't have to like this i know it's so countercultural. it's so anti-american to call people to get under the authority of spiritual leadership we've seen it abused we, we just live in a culture that rejects authority whether it's law enforcement or school teachers or whatever political authority we just gag on all of it but the new testament calls god's people to get under the leadership and the authority of the flock that's being led by shepherds. And the Bible warns us, we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when that lost sheep isolates him or herself and disconnects from the body, guess who's out there easy for the pickings? The enemy doesn't just insert himself into the heart of the flock. He may try, but he's going to get caught so much faster When he tries to come right into this unified fellowship, this body, this family. But man, when he catches you off, disconnected and isolated, you are an easy target. I was thinking about this this morning, and some of you this may offend, but that's fine. Um, Because I, I like to hunt, and I like to kill the food that I eat. You let someone else do your killing for you, so that's fine, okay? I'm not mad about that. Lately, I've been spending a lot of time in the tree stand with my son, James. We've been bow hunting together, and, and here's this analogy just hit me. I love it when one deer comes in by him or herself instead of 12 deer coming in together. Why? Because when it's just one, there's one set of beady little eyes looking around instead of 12. When they're together, there's 12 sets of eyes. And when one of them's down eating, the others are up looking around going, something doesn't look right about that tree. Can't quite pick it out, but it looks like there's a fat guy with a bow in that tree. Like we should avoid that. 
See, that's, that's what happens when one comes in by himself. He or she has no idea we're sitting right there. And if I want to, see, that's, that's the enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when you have isolated yourself from the church and you don't have godly relationships in your life because you're not part of the family, you're not part of the flock, you're not part of the body, you've been cut off, you are easy pickings for the enemy to just have a heyday in your life. And here's the thing, I'm just coming to this growing recollection, and after 15 years of pastoral ministry, it's, it's a burden that, that God is stirring something inside of me to do something to change. Here's my burden. I don't think too many Christians today in our American culture view the church as a family, or as a flock, or as a body that they belong to, or as a fellowship that they're committed to. Remember last week when we talked about the false identity of being a possessor and I talked about we live in a culture of extreme consumerism. And it isn't a question of whether or not, it's just a question of to what degree we've bought the lie that says I need bigger, better, newer, faster, and more. Just keep it coming. I, I think we live in a culture of extreme consumerism and we've taken that directly into the church and the average Christian in America today views the church more like a shopping mall or a freaking buffet than they do a family and a fellowship and a flock and a body that they belong to. And they bring their consumeristic mindset into the church and they go, I am here just like when I go to the mall. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you because you're like me. When you go to the mall, you don't go to the mall with the idea of how can I make this mall a better place and how can I inspire and encourage others and make this about them. The only person who goes to the mall with that in mind is the dude who rides around on the Segway with the bike helmet on. He's the only one who cares about everyone else at the mall. Everyone else goes to the mall with one person on their mind, and that's themselves. What am I getting out of this? What's the stores have for me? How can this cater to me? You're not going to the buffet after church today with the idea of how can I make this buffet better for others? You're not serving anybody. You're going to be served. I want to be fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I like this. I like that. Well, I don't like that. I'm going to leave that there. Feed me more. And that's how we view the church. And we view relationships within the church about as strong and we're as about committed to relationships in the church as we are to the relationships at the mall and at the buffet. Yeah, we're doing this together. We're all feeding ourselves and shopping for ourselves together, but we're really not committed to one another. And the minute the buffet down the street or the mall across town has something newer, a better coffee bar, better worship team, better children's programs, better preaching, better, 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 I'm just going to go there because it's about me. And I don't know what the church, the rescue church in the future is going to look like, but I know one thing, God is starting to stir something in my heart, and I want to start bringing our church together around this conversation that says, what does it look like to be a church where consumers are not comfortable? If you want to just sit and consume, there's plenty of other churches you can do that, but what does it look like to be a church that is a family and a fellowship and a flock and a body that is actually accomplishing the purposes for which Christ put us here. But man, that does not happen when we live in isolation back here. The church is God's answer to the problem of isolation. When we view the church the way God intended the church to be viewed. Let me share one passage of scripture. I've given you many you can go look at on your own time. But look what Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 say. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
Look what it says next. Not giving up meeting together. The church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is a gathering of God's people. It's not just God's people. That the church is not just people. The church is the gathering of God's people. When we come together and Scripture says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's God's view for the church. God, in his wisdom, never intended for the church to be this place where we gather for an hour on Sunday, have just light, lame conversation that doesn't really get into any of this, and then we just go on home for the rest of the week, and we'll pick it up again next week and just have front stage conversations about the Vikings and the Packers and the weather and food. All of that's fine, except the Packers part. But, but, but back here, with the conversations that really matter, God's will is that we're not in isolation, and the church is supposed to be an answer to that problem of our isolation. Two more quick observations, and these aren't necessarily from the Word of God. This is just kind of common sense, some stuff I want to point out. Number seven, if you want to write this down, isolation is different from solitude. The reason I'm saying this this morning is because next week we're going to talk about the title of next week's message is going to be The Need for Speed, and why we live in a culture that is just about go, 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 we're going to find that solitude is a healthy thing. Solitude is not isolation. Isolation is when I'm in my backstage and nobody has access to what's going on back here. Solitude is when I go to a lonely place of solitary peace and quiet and I meet with the Lord. And so we'll, we'll unpack that idea more next week. But it's not a bad thing to have moments and seasons of disconnection where it's just me and the Lord. From time to time, I need to kick everybody out of my backstage, right? And it's just me and God back here. Isolation is when nobody ever gets back here. Isolation is lonely and unhealthy. Solitude is biblical, and it's very healthy. So I'll just kind of set the stage with that. We'll get more into that next week. Finally, number eight, last observation about isolation. I won't accidentally drift into healthy relationships. I won't accidentally drift into healthy relationships. This is one of those things, church, I wish it was easy like, like this. One time I, I worked with a guy years ago at a job that I had right out of high school. This dude was one of the laziest people I have ever met in my life. And he, all, he spent more time and energy looking to get out of work than to actually do work. One time, no joke, he walked into one of those GNC, you know, health vitamin places in the mall, and he asked this question. He said, do you have a pill that burns fat and builds muscle? And the guy just looked at him and said, have you ever heard of exercise, right? Like, like it's this idea that we just want this easy fix. Give me a pill that's going to make me ripped where I don't have to work. Just like physical health, you got to put in the time. You got to put in some intentionality. You got to be intentional about being healthy. You're not just going to drift into health. If you just drift, you're going to drift to the couch with junk food. That's where I drift to. That's where the current pulls me. If I drift relationally, it pulls me into isolation because it's a lot of work to meet with people. Sometimes, sometimes I really enjoy it, but when they want to get up in my business and have this kind of conversation, I, I would just rather watch TV. This takes intentionality. And you can't just sit back and go, well, what's, what's the quick fix for that? How do I just quickly get that? No, you, you kind of got to put in 
the time and build these relationships, and you have to be intentional. This is going to sound really radical, but you want to know how you get people back into this backstage area of your life? I would contend get connected to a healthy church. That's step one. And step two is this is going to blow some of you away. It's possible, it's permissible, we allow the people of our church to get together outside of church. Did you know that? Like you can pick up the phone and say, hey, would you like to get a cup of coffee this week? This is so anti-American what I'm getting ready to say, but it's still a thing where people pick up the phone and say, would you like to come over to our house tonight and we will sit around a table and eat food together? Like we actually allow that still, and I'm being a little bit passive aggressive and a little bit funny when I'm saying this, right? But the truth is we live in such a crazy culture where that's almost seen as who does that anymore? But it's, it's something I have to take responsibility for to maintain and to cultivate that level of relationship in my life. So that there are people in my life that when I trip and fall, there's people back here to pick me up. There's people that I can come to and go, you know, on the front stage of life, everything looks like it's awesome, but back here, I'm hurting. And I've got some burdens and some heartaches. And these are the people that see that and they encourage me, and they speak life into me, and they give me the courage to get back out on the stage and to live a functional life, but it's coming from a healthy backstage. Does that make sense? And you are not going to drift to this place. you got to be intentional. And, and here's another thing I can tell you. The church cannot force this into your life. The church can help create environments, but you have to take ownership for this. If someone's going to be in my backstage, I have to own it, and I have to be intentional about it. So here's, here's how I want to end today. i got a quick homework assignment I want to give you. I recognize that we're going into not just a, a holiday week, uh, but we're going into a holiday season, and so it's going to be a season of busyness and more appointments and activities. I get that. But I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge the people of this church in the next week to be intentional about getting something on the calendar where you are sitting down in real relationship face-to-face with other people. It can be for coffee. It can be for a meal. I don't care how it is or what it looks like. And it doesn't even have to happen in the next seven days, but would you just be intentional about saying, hey, let's get together. Let's go do something together. Let's have real conversation like we used to back in the day. Be intentional about it. And then here's one other quick thing. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to, in our prayer time here in the Flandre campus, it's going to look a little different than normal. And it's going to make some of us uncomfortable, and it's okay. If this totally freaks you out, I give you permission. When I'm done praying, I will say you are dismissed, and you're welcome to leave. But here's what prayer time is going to look like. I'm just going to say let's divide our congregation up here into about four groups, and literally let's go move physically into groups, and let's share some prayer requests around the circle. No one's going to force you to talk or pray, but answer the question, how can you pray for me this week? What are some things that that I'm praying for this week? My family... without a mic but there we go sorry lost the mic my battery went dead that's my fault so we're going to close out with a time of prayer and i would just encourage you get into some small circles together share what god's doing in your life how you can pray for one another and just take a few minutes and let's pray in little groups as a church and if if there's something inside of you going no i don't like this 
That's the part I'm talking about. You got to push through that. We've got to be a church where it's cool to just sit and let's pray together and let's approach the throne of God. So cool to move chairs, circle up, whatever. I don't care if it looks messy in here. Let's just make it happen. And let's spend a few moments before we leave here today in prayer for one another, for this church, and for what God is continuing to do in the life of our church. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. God, I thank you for this time that you've given to us, and I thank you for your word that gives us direction and guidance in this life that we live. And as we learn today, Lord, when we just lean into our own understanding and follow our own heart, when we listen to ungodly counsel, it takes us to some very unhealthy places. And God, I believe that we are a people that even though we come together once a week and kind of put on the front stage is fine, the truth is in all of our lives there's stuff in the backstage that you, you would long to, to see fixed and changed and growth. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us the gift of your church where we are a gathering of your people that are sealed together with the bond of Christ that is greater than anything else in the world that unites us. And, and even though at times it can look like a little bit of a dysfunctional family, God, we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God in this place. And it's a safe place to know each other and to be known. And I pray that from this message, Lord, you would just challenge and encourage our hearts that we would not live in isolation, but that we would fight for relationships and fight for one another and be intentional about this community, about this fellowship, about this family. God, I pray if there's anyone here today or in any of our campuses listening to this that has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, if right now they're living isolated from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that today you would bring the conviction in their life necessary for them to realize, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need a Savior. God, I pray that you would use this message not only to bring people into your eternal kingdom, but to bring your people that are already a part of your kingdom closer together in this fellowship called the church. God, might we be men and women who have real, authentic community in our backstage, that there's people who know us, they see us, they love us in spite of our flaws and weaknesses and failures. They love us on a level like you love us, unconditionally. And they encourage us and they pick us up. God, might you just do that work in this church. I pray that as we move into this time of prayer as a church family, it would just be a sweet time of fellowship and connection. We commit this to you, Holy Spirit. Your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, that there you are in their midst. We welcome you into our midst, and I just pray this would be a special time of prayer and worship as a church family. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.